0: Well, good morning. been a joy to be with you uh, this weekend. I wish that uh, my wife was able to be with me. Um, Hannah asked if she gets to travel with me. Uh, sometimes she does. She's still uh, a teacher. She teaches kindergarten. And um, she's in the school year. And if I have a prolonged weekend, it's a little bit more difficult for her to come. She got to go last weekend, but... Uh, Not all the time, and you miss the best part of our family, Uh, so I apologize for that. But I appreciate your prayer uh, for me and my uh, ministry and for my family, uh, often in my absence at this point, Uh, but the Lord's doing some really good things. I am uh, representative of Biblical Ministries Worldwide, Uh, BMW is uh, what we generally go by, and we're not that BMW. (laughs) You know, I joke that we all drive broken-down Chevys, but uh, the mission is Biblical Ministries Worldwide, and uh, by the grace of God, we have over 400 uh, mission partners that are serving around the world in uh, around 50 countries, and our burden is to see the Lord continue to do that work and uh, to take the gospel where it's not. Uh, We take the light to the darkness, and uh, appreciate your prayer for that. Uh, the The Lord is doing a great work, and you know sometimes we pray for the Lord's will. Like we don't know. Like Lord, please, please bring healing if it's your will. Uh, but the Lord sending out more missionaries is His will. Uh, He's commanded it, and He's told us to pray for it. Uh, I urge you to pray Matthew nine thirty eight. Jesus seeing the multitudes. He's moved with compassion on them, and then he tells us to pray for the Lord of the Harvest to send out laborers. Uh, Jesus didn't give us a lot of very specific prayer requests, but when Jesus asks you to pray for something, we probably should pray for that. Uh, So pray for the Lord to send out more laborers, and uh, pray specifically, Lord, send laborers from here. Send laborers from our church for your glory. Uh, So that's the ministry I've I've, uh, been enjoying now for just over a year and a half after uh, 25 years pastoring. Uh, in my in my downtime, uh, kind of began as a hobby. I'm uh, a writer as well, and uh, I joked yesterday if I can take a sermon and, and make it rhyme, it'll become a hymn, and if I can't, then it'll become a book or a devotional or something. And um, some of those resources are available in the lobby. Uh, Tony, where's Tony? Uh, Tony is is manning the table, and. Uh, you don't need to buy anything because anything left over, he agreed that he would buy. So uh, no pressure on you, but appreciate Tony's work on that. And then uh, if you weren't here in Sunday school, this is my family, uh, four daughters, and uh, now the Lord has added a son-in-law, uh, Ray, uh, I think, I think uh, you were in school with Ray, I believe, and uh, he uh, graduated from Bob Jones, minister of the wilds. I actually was trying to hire him as an assistant pastor and um, as I'm talking to him he's telling me like I'm, I've already signed a contract I can't come but the longer we talked I thought man I love this guy so I said hey ask out my daughter you know <laughs> uh, you know ask her for coffee or something and, and he you know he kind of resisted I twisted his arm he said all right I'll, <laughs> I'll ask her out so then I went to see my daughter I said hey baby um I just talked to a guy and, and told him to ask you out. And she said, Dad, you know, that's not okay. This is humiliating, stop it. And she went on for a couple minutes, and then finally she goes, okay, who was it? I said, it was Ray Holden. She said, oh, okay. So uh, so she's married. Uh, the one on the far right, uh, the blonde Esther, she's about to get married. She was so funny, I, I shouldn't tell you the story, but I have no filter, so here it comes. Um, <laughs> She told me, she's getting ready for college, she goes, Dad, watch, I'm gonna, I'm gonna marry somebody really exotic. You know, maybe an islander, Indian, I, I'm not sure, but watch. And she gets married in October to a big, tall, white guy from Iowa. So, <laughs> she nailed it, really exotic, nice word. Um, now, the, the two girls on the left uh, are single, Uh, One is 24, she's the best person I know, and uh, guys, if you'd like to submit a resume, let me know. Uh, The youngest one is never getting married, so sorry about that. Uh, This morning, we're going to be in 3 John, if you'll make your way over there. You don't often hear a pastor say, turn in your Bibles to 3 John, Uh, but I I love this book, I don't want you to, to read it just yet. Just get ready. Third John is a great missions book. Um, it, it teaches us mission principles about, about going, about, about supporting missions, actually, very timely for your Faith Promise Week. Uh, it talks about supporting missionaries generously in a manner worthy of God. Um, but it, it does so through a plot. It's, it's a short book, one chapter. Uh, 15 verses. It's you know we have the the New Testament letters. Uh, we call them epistles. Uh, epistles are New Testament letters. They're not the the wives of the apostles, uh, although that would have been a great name. Um, epistles are the letters Romans, First Corinthians, etc. But some of them are just one chapter long. Second uh, John, Third John, Philemon, Jude. They're they're kind of like postcards, but. As short as Third John is, it, it packs a punch. Uh, what a great book, teaching important principles, but also giving us kind of a storyline. There's a plot. There's there's action. There's conflict and resolution. And uh, I don't I don't mean to be irreverent because the message of Third John is uh, blood earnest. It's it's important. But by way of illustration, I I want to uh, begin with this cartoon. Anyone? You recognize this cartoon? Who's the character in the middle? That's Dudley do He's a Canadian Mountie. He's the hero. It's kind of like a melodrama. Everything's exaggerated, kind of silly. Uh, does anybody remember the name of the villain? You see him. Snidely Whiplash. He's curling his mustache. If you've ever been to a melodrama, you know the villain comes out. Everybody, boo, boo. And uh, Bad Music Plays, that's, that's Snidely Whiplash. And uh, bonus point, does anybody know the name of the damsel in distress? Nell Fenwick. Nell Fenwick. All of this uh, was a cartoon that was part of the Rocky and Bullwinkle show. And um, I'm using this as an illustration of the book of 3rd John. Without looking, uh, tell me the main characters of the book of 3rd John. That's pretty quiet. See, that's disturbing to me. You know Dudley do right better than you know 3rd I'm just teasing. Uh, I, I set you up for that. Well, um, in the book, we're going to read about missionaries. And when we read 3rd John, we're reading about the brothers or the brethren. And they're, they're not. not named, but they're missionaries. We're going to read that they have gone out... That is, they've left their home, they've left their, their church, probably leaving their homeland, and they're going abroad for the sake of the name. So you would think that missionaries who are taking the gospel to the lost would be celebrated, but in the book of Third John, that's not necessarily the case, because we have a villain in the book, and his name is Diotrephes. Diotrephes is the bad guy. Boo, hiss. All right. Has anybody ever met a family that named their young son Diotrephes? Anyone? No, that, that's not a name that, you know, we, that we use uh, because he's a villain. Uh, but he was a leader in the church. He was an influencer in the church. And he is specifically opposing the brothers. That's why I kind of use this illustration. So, so the brothers are in need of help because Diotrephes is opposing them. And then the hero in the book, I guess a number of people, there's uh, John the writer, uh, the Apostle John, the same one who wrote the Gospel of John, 1st, 2nd John, Revelation. He's writing in 3rd John. And he's kind of coming to the defense of these missionaries. Uh, There's another leader in the church named Gaius. He's the one that the letter is written to. And then at the end of the book, he's going to talk about how they should follow the example of Demetrius. He, He basically is saying... Instead of being influenced by Diotrephes and following his example, you should follow the example of a godly man like Demetrius. So all of that silliness, just to say there's, there's a plot in the book of Third John, and as we read it together, I want you to kind of give attention to that. And then we're going we're to take some lessons from the book about missions and about giving to support missions and then even about schism or division in the church and and how uh, hazardous, how dangerous that can be. So let's read the text, we'll have a word of prayer, and then we'll uh, dig into some lessons we can learn from it. This is the Word of God, inspired, inerrant, authoritative, sufficient. This is what we need to know. Let's read together 3 John. The elder to the beloved Gaius, whom I love in truth... Beloved, I pray that all may go well with you and that you may be in good health as it goes well with your soul. It's a good prayer request. I'm, I'm praying for your physical health, but even more so, I'm praying for your spiritual health. Uh, we're doing both of that. Verse 3, I rejoice greatly when the brothers came and testified to your truth as indeed you are walking in the truth. And then verse 4 is the one that might be most familiar from this book. Uh, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. Uh, We speak of that regarding our our children. Uh, It might be a verse we read on Mother's Day or Father's Day, but actually he's saying, as a spiritual father, as a pastor, I rejoice when the people to whom I've ministered are progressing in the faith. They're walking in the truth. All of that is kind of by way of introduction. Now, verse 5, we kind of get to the, the meat of the book. Beloved, It is a faithful thing you do in all your efforts for these brothers, strangers as they are, who testified to your love before the church. You will do well to send them on their journey in a manner worthy of God. For they have gone out for the sake of the name, accepting nothing from the Gentiles." Therefore, we ought to support people like these, that we may be fellow workers for the truth. So, you're doing a good job in, in that you've supported these missionaries. They're strangers. What that, what that means is uh, they didn't grow up in our church. You know, maybe they didn't go to our alma mater. Uh, they're they're unknown to us. They're guests, but they're ministers of the gospel. Good job in helping them, and I'm, I'm urging you to help them even more, and we'll talk about that. Now we get to the conflict, beginning in verse 9. I have written something to the church, but Diotrephes, who likes to put himself first, I love the King James, who who likes to be preeminent, does not acknowledge our authority. So if I come, I will bring up what he is doing talking wicked nonsense against us. And not content with that, he refuses to welcome the brothers and also stops those who want to and puts them out of the church. Beloved, do not imitate evil, but imitate good. Whoever does good is from God. Whoever does evil has not seen God. Demetrius has received a good testimony from everyone and from the truth itself. We also add our testimony, and you know that our testimony is true. I'd much to write to you, but I would rather not write with pen and ink. I hope to see you soon, and we will talk face to face. Peace be to you. The friends greet you. Greet the friends each by name. So he has that sign-off that we are so used to in the writings of Paul. Where he says, You know, the brothers who are with me greet you and, and greet these brothers. And often he mentions them uh, by name. We have the close to the letter. But in the middle of this, we have uh, the message of the book of Third John, which is so relevant, so, so informative for the church today as well. Uh, we begin our study of Third John looking at the topic of mission uh, or missions. Uh, we're, we're to be on task. We're, we're called to a great work. Uh, we quickly in Sunday school ran through the great commissions, plural, in Matthew and Mark and Luke and John and Acts. The New Testament is a missional book. It's telling us that we, we don't just enjoy the gospel, but we, we share the gospel, we spread the gospel. Uh, I said that we're not gospel-centered just because we read the Bible, read gospel-centered books, sing gospel-centered songs. If we're not taking the gospel to the lost, we're not really gospel-centered in a, in a biblical way. The gospel has to expand. All right? we, we desire to see more and more people come to Christ. And 3 John urges us that the church must aggressively take the gospel to the lost for the sake of Jesus' name. Okay, there's an imperative. It's, it's not that we, we might or we should. We must take the gospel. Uh, Jesus could not have been clearer. Uh, the book of Acts gives us the example. The, the letters of Paul keep reminding us of the urgency of spreading the gospel, that we are ambassadors for Christ. He's entrusted the message to us. We must get the gospel to the lost. And the primary motivation is we do it for the sake of Jesus' name. We do it for his glory. So if you look down at verse 7, describing these brothers, it says they have gone out, they've, they've left home, they've gone out for this reason, for the sake of the name. The greatest missionary motive the greatest missionary motive is not not compassion for the lost, as legitimate as that is. Jesus would look at the multitudes and have compassion on them. Um, Jude writes a letter about defending the faith, but at the end he talks about having compassion and making a difference. Compassion is necessary; it's good. But an even greater motive is we go to the lost for the sake of Jesus' name. We go for His glory. Uh, That phrase is used in several other passages of Scripture. Uh, Acts 15, the Jerusalem council is meeting to talk about whether Gentiles need to become kind of Jewish to be Christians. Do they need to be circumcised? Do they need to observe certain days? And, you know, the, the verdict is that Gentiles go directly to Jesus. They don't need to kind of stop at a halfway house and become a little bit more Jewish to be saved. They don't have to be circumcised. Just trust in Jesus and and obey obey the biblical commands. But in in that meeting, there's a description of Paul and Barnabas. It says that they have risked their lives for the sake of the name. For the sake of the name. Literally, on the first missionary journey, Paul got stoned and left for dead. They were opposed at every turn. These men have risked their lives. Why would they do that? For the sake of the name. Uh, Paul, when he's writing Romans, talks about his ministry of the gospel was for the sake of the name. We do ministry primarily for the glory of God. It's it's beneficial to us. It's definitely beneficial to those we're speaking the gospel to. But our prime motive is we want Jesus to be glorified. As we said in Sunday school from Psalm 96, why do we declare the glory of God among the nations? Uh, why send missionaries to Brazil? Why send missionaries to, to countries that are, are so dark? And sometimes they're, they're even dangerous. You know, why are we trying to get the gospel into uh, places like Afghanistan or China or North Korea? Why, why would we do that? Why, why put yourself in harm's way for the sake of the name? for the glory of Jesus. Jesus is so great, he deserves more worshipers. So you go to Brazil, so more Brazilians will be around the throne in Revelation giving praise to the Lamb because of your efforts there. And we send missionaries to unreached peoples so that Jesus will be exalted. Uh, that, that John 4 example, that the Samaritan woman is is being evangelized so that she will become not only a christian but she'll become a worshiper and actually she becomes a witness it it encapsulates the entire weekend god is turning sinners into worshipers and god is turning sinners into witnesses this is what god is doing it's it's a fancy word called doxology or doxological doxology means that that everything we do is for the glory of god uh, one of my favorite verses is Psalm 115, one. not to us, O Lord, not to us, but unto your name be glory. The glory goes to God and, and our desire in serving the Lord is to see his name honored. So here are these brothers, they've gone out, they're taking the gospel to the lost and they're doing it for the sake of the name. The church must aggressively take the gospel. I, I use that word aggressively on purpose. I'm I'm a word nerd, you know, I I'm I'm the guy that at a stoplight, I'm looking at the license plate trying to make words out of the, it's it's stupid, it's a problem. I love words. Anybody wants to play Scrabble this afternoon, you bring it. We don't don't consider taking the gospel, we don't do it passively, we don't do it, you know, half-heartedly. We need to be in earnest about this. We need to be aggressive because Jesus has commanded us to go And because the need is so great, we aggressively take the gospel to the lost. Now, I recognize that not everyone is supposed to go. Now, I'm I'm praying for this church that the Lord will allow you to launch people toward ministry. And uh, buckle up, I think it's coming. And I love the heart of uh, your pastors. And we want to see people not only stay, but we, we want to see people launch. We want to see people go. And uh, they're, they're actually uh, praying about that. We had a great lunch yesterday uh, with people that are interested in ministry and, and praying for their direction and, and for the Lord to, to equip them and train them. And uh, I, think, I think your church is ripe to see the Lord allow you to, to launch people out. Uh, what a joy. Now, not everybody is supposed to go. All right, so, so my, my intention this morning is not to guilt everyone who is staying? Uh, most of us stay. Uh, just for fun, turn over to Acts 21. There's kind of a passing comment uh, written by Dr. Luke as he's recording the journeys of Paul. And uh, we're winding down. He's, he's uh, finished his missionary journeys. He's heading toward Jerusalem where he's going to be uh, arrested. Eventually he gets to Rome. But they stopped at Tyre. They come off the ship, Tyre, T Y R E. They come off the ship, and uh, they stay and they're gathering with Christians. And then verse five, Acts twenty one five, when our days were ended, we departed and went on our journey, and they all, with wives and children, accompanied us until we were outside the city. And kneeling down on the beach, we prayed. And said farewell to one another, then we went on board the ship and they returned home. All right, that last phrase, they returned home. It it kind of gives this, this biblical affirmation, this nod. Not everybody is supposed to get on board the ship. Not everybody is supposed to go to the mission field. I think, I think more are supposed to go to the mission field. But there's, there's something that is sacred about returning home. And, and working hard at your job and being a godly mom, a godly dad, being a witness in your neighborhood, being a witness in your workplace, you know, whatever your sphere of influence, there's something very noble about being a faithful member of a local church. And although your heart is for missions, uh, for most of you, God is probably not calling you to, to sell everything you have and go to the mission field. For some, yes, praise God. Let's, let's pray for that. Let's rejoice in that. Let's support them well. But for most of you, you're, you're going to go back home and be a faithful Christian in a, in a somewhat ordinary life. And uh, in promoting missions, I never want people who are not called to the mission field to feel like they're kind of second class or unimportant or un, unheroic. Uh, there's two books I really enjoy. One is uh, Radical, written by David Platt. And if you read Radical, you might just go sell your house and, and move to the mission field. Like it, You're going to feel bad, like, wow, I can't believe we have two cars. Uh, you know, it, it is a Radical book, and it's calling the church to maybe step away from the American dream and more aggressively pursue missions. It's good. But it's probably out of balance a little bit. And um, in response to that, I believe it's Michael Horton wrote a book called Ordinary. Uh, it's not radical; it's ordinary, and he goes through just a description of the Christian life that not every Christian is supposed to do something that is, you know, death-defying. Uh, most of us are just supposed to be godly church members and parents and ministers in in our society where we live, and there's nothing wrong with that. So, if you're going to read one, read the other one to kind of balance it out. They're both actually; they're both really good, but. For those of us who don't go, that doesn't mean that we're not engaged in missions. We're we're still engaged in missions. And the book of 3 John is not primarily to the brothers. It's not primarily urging more missions. It's urging more generosity toward missions, more generosity in our support of missionaries. Uh, The meat of the book, coming in verses uh, five through eight, is that we should support missionaries more generously. So the second point on, on giving is the church must, again, it's not a suggestion, it's not a might, the church must generously support missionaries in a manner worthy of God. Uh, the, the ESV that I read this morning says we support missionaries in a manner worthy of God. King James says, uh, a, what is it, a godly, godly sort, something like that. The idea is When we support missionaries, we want to be generous with them in a manner that that is honoring to the Lord. We honor God by honoring his messengers. You know, Jesus would say that you give a, a cold cup of water to one of his servants, it's like you've given it to him. Or he says, as much as you've done something to the least of my brothers, you've done it unto me. We support missionaries in a manner worthy of God. Now, one of my frustration uh, with the American pattern of missions is that we pray for laborers, and you know, occasionally someone agrees to invest their life in missions or leave their career and pursue missions. Uh, as we talked about, by God's grace, many people from the church I pastored uh, launched. So we pray for that. And then when they agree to go to the mission field... They spend the next sometimes three years, four years, going out and raising support. Uh, your, your support raising when you went to Brazil, uh, prolonged or or it happened pretty quickly? pretty quickly. Pretty quickly. All right. It seemed long at the time, but you know once in a while I, I've seen people that raise support maybe in nine months, and that's that's quick. For a lot of people, it's it's years. Uh, we actually had one of the families we sent out this This is maybe not motivating for potential missionaries. One of the families who we sent out though, uh, before they could leave they had uh, they had an infant who you know they're taking this young family on the road raising support. and their son spent so much time in a car seat that the back of his head was flattened, and it actually became like a health risk and he had to he had to wear a helmet for several months. to to fix it before he could go. And, you know, you want a a frustrating example of how long it takes missionaries to raise support. We have these people that are ready to go to the lost, but first they they have to travel from church to church, sometimes for years, raising support. And and we treat them almost like, you know, somebody that stands by the side of the road and says, you know, please help, give me money. And... um, I I, I want to help people, but I also know we're in an economy like you can go make fifteen dollars an hour at Taco Bell, you know. So I'm I'm less motivated just to to throw money at people. But we almost treat missionaries like like they're the beggars, like like they're you know not willing to work. They're just looking for handout. We're not supporting them in a manner worthy of God. Uh, we're not doing well, and uh, I urge churches. Instead of supporting a hundred missionaries, and you, you barely know their names, but you have you know you have a hundred pins in your map in the lobby. Uh, do you guys have a map in the lobby? Whew, I'm so relieved. Um, but oh, we're you know we support a hundred missionaries, but you, you you don't know their names, you don't read their letters. Support ten or twelve. So support a smaller number, but more generously. Instead of doing fifty dollars for a multitude of people. Have a missionary that that you take on for more generous support. You know him well. You you send somebody to visit him on the field and encourage him, encourage her. Support people in a manner worthy of God. Now, I say I'm I'm frustrated by the inefficiency of American missions. However, 3 John actually describes deputation. It's the one passage of Scripture. There are strangers who come to a local church... So they're not from the church. They don't have you know, a ton of friends in the church. They're, they're outsiders, but they're coming to raise support to get to the field. And you know, Paul would frequently talk about, as I'm coming, will you, will you send me on my journey? I'm going to stop and see you, but I'm on my way to Spain. Would you help me get there? Or would you outfit me for the work God has called me to do? Third John, we have an example of missionaries. Before they go out, they go to churches to raise support. So, so the model we have might not be efficient, but there is biblical precedent. They're trying to raise support. And John is writing saying, guys, good start. You, you've begun well. I, I heard that you helped them. Now I'm writing you to do more, to give more generously. Look again. Let's read verse 5. It's a faithful thing. There's, a, there's an attaboy. There's kind of a kudos. Good job in all your efforts for these brothers Strangers as they are, they're not from your church. They testified of your love before the church. You will do well to send them on their journey in a manner worthy of God. So financially support them and and do it in in a way that will honor their master. Support them in a manner worthy of God. For they have gone out for the sake of the name accepting nothing from the Gentiles. The idea there is missions is not supported by unbelievers. He's probably using Gentiles here, not to talk of people's ethnicity, but they're not supported by unbelievers. Okay. It's not a Jew or Gentile thing. It's a, it's a Christian or non-Christian thing. They're not being supported by unbelievers. It's the church's job to support missionaries. It's the church's job to take the gospel and it's the church's job to support those who take the gospel to the lost. Therefore, we ought to support people like these that we may be fellow workers for the truth. There's so much there. Support them in a manner worthy of God. Now, when I was in uh, Bible college, in our dormitory, we had a missions barrel. Does anybody familiar with the concept of a missions barrel? Well, let me enlighten you. Uh, There are shirts that you're going to throw away because they're threadbare or stained or all balled up on the front. Before you throw that away, a missionary would love that shirt. You know, you can invest in missions by giving away your hand-me-downs. And and I think we were well-intended, but Instead of throwing away old pants, stained shirts, whatever, you know, put them in a missions barrel, and a, and a missionary could really benefit. You know here's a thought: How about if you buy the missionary a new shirt? You know, how about if you buy him a new suit and, and not give him your castoffs? In the Old Testament, we read of people that were bringing sacrifices to the Lord, and they were bringing animals that were sick or lame. They were going to die anyway, and that makes good financial sense. Instead of giving a healthy lamb, let's give a crippled lamb. And God says, stop that. You know, even your own kings wouldn't accept a gift like that. We give to the Lord our best. We should support missionaries as generously as we can. The missions barrel, you know, might be an extreme example, but I was in a church that uh, a ladies' ministry... Do you guys have a missions barrel? Good. Okay. I'm always like, I don't want to say something that is really unintentionally offensive, but they they had a ministry where they would take old greeting cards. You know, there's beautiful flowers on the front, and you can't reuse a greeting card because there's writing in it. Ah, but you can cut out the flowers and paste them onto um, construction paper. What is it? construction paper that colored? You know what I'm talking about. So they would make homemade cards recycling the flowers from old cards and give them to missionaries so missionaries could use them as thank you notes. That, that's a real thing. I'm not making it up. Spend five bucks at Walmart and, and buy them a dozen nice cards. You know, but but we need to support missionaries more generously and, and not treat them kind of like indigents, but, but treat them... As, as people that, that we honor, we appreciate, we're behind them. I mean, the truth is, here we drive on, on American roads that are so well paved in our four-wheel drive trucks. <laughs> Somebody laughed about roads being well paved. <laughs> hey, if you haven't lived in Ohio, I don't want to hear it. <laughs> you know, our, our roads are pretty good, and then, and then we have four-wheel drive trucks, which is fine. Don't feel guilty about your four-wheel drive truck. But then we sent people to, to Africa and the roads are amazingly difficult. I actually was on a trip to uh, the Central African Republic and we're in uh, a little Toyota. You know, it didn't have high clearance. It wasn't four-wheel drive. And this, this poor missionary is driving around in this beaten down Toyota sedan. And the road was so muddy there was a pig bathing in the mud in the road. <laughs> All right, well, that missionary could probably use a really nice four-wheel drive vehicle. And, you know, we, we might not need one ourselves, but, but we invest in them. You know, it's like, it's like sending soldiers who are going to be on the front line, and, and we don't give them, you know, merely adequate arms. We, we give them, you know, we give them stuff that will protect them, From harm's way, because they're doing great work and and putting themselves in peril. We ought to support missionaries very, very generously, and we do it in a manner worthy of God. So the church is called to support missionaries, to do it generously, to to do it even more generously. You know, we're, we're probably not wealthy people, most of us. I mean, compared to the rest of the world, we're wealthy. Compared to the rest of history, we're wealthy. But but you say, well, I'm, I'm, I'm not the person that you know, has an extra $10,000 to send to missions. No, but, but you have a little extra. You could do, you could do 100 more a month. You know, I love the idea. Whatever you did last year, try, try to expand on that. You know, cut back on, on a night out for dinner and, and invest more. You do in a manner worthy of God because these people are going out for the glory of Jesus' name. And then we have this this added incentive in verse uh, verse 8. We ought to support people like these that we may be fellow workers for the truth. What's that mean? When you support a missionary, you're considered a partner. You're considered a co-laborer with that minister. And and you're actually, in, in the sight of God, you are credited as a as a partner with that missionary. Now, uh, give me give me just a field, a, a country where you have missionaries. Philippines. Philippines. All right, you have missionaries in the Philippines. You support. How many of you have gone and helped them in the Philippines? All right, one. But according to Scripture. All of you are helping their ministry in the Philippines by your giving that enables them to go. Okay, so it's a good thing to take a mission trip and go see your missionaries encourage them and help them. Uh, Paint the wall that another mission trip painted two months ago and... It's good to go. The primary thing they need is, is not your construction expertise unless you're really a construction expert. They, they might just need you to go and listen and talk and pray and fellowship and encourage them. But even if you can't go, you're assisting them through your offerings as the church is supporting them or you, you know, you're giving through the church. Some of you might say, you know what? In addition to that, we would love to support this missionary family. You do that generously, and you're considered a coworker with them. You're actually rewarded as if you've gone. It almost sounds like a multi-level scheme. You know, you're support, you're, you're going to be rewarded for work that others are doing. Now that cuts both ways. Second John actually teaches the other side of that principle. Second John is talking about false teachers. And he says, if somebody has wrong doctrine, especially about Christ, they have a false gospel. Look at 2 John uh, verse 10, if anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, sound teaching about Christ, do not receive him into your house or give him any greeting. Or uh, King James says, don't even bid him Godspeed. Don't help him at all. Don't even wish him well. Verse 11, for whoever greets him takes part in his wicked works. If you partner with a false teacher, you're guilty of his false teaching. That's why we believe in the doctrine of of separation. That's that's why uh, Faith Baptist Church is not going to join on Easter Sunday in a community worship service that includes churches that don't preach the gospel. We can't partner with unbelievers because if we do anything to assist their work, we're guilty of their false teaching. But the flip side in 3 John, he says... But it works the other way. If we help people who are preaching the gospel, then we're co-workers with them, we're partners with them, we'll be rewarded for their work because because we have an active part in it. Paul uses the the word fellowship, koinonia, and and he, he thanks the Philippian church for their partnership in the gospel. You know, where I've gone, you haven't gone, but you've assisted me, you've partnered with me. The church... Must aggressively, generously support missionaries in a manner that's worthy of God. All through the New Testament, we have these examples where Paul is raising support or being sent out. He urges people to to speed them on their way. Reminds me of one of my favorite mission hymns, is uh, called O Zion Haste. You know, even even the language sounds kind of archaic. But but the idea is the people of God hurry, haste, be urgent, o Zion haste, do you know the, do you know the hymn there's a verse that says, give of your sons to bear the message glorious, give of your wealth to speed them on their way, pour out your prayers for them or pour out your souls for them in prayers victorious, and all thou spendest, Jesus will repay. We engage with missionaries. Just just one more thought, besides generously giving of your finances. You want to encourage your missionaries? I'm going to give you something that's easy and free. Read their prayer letters. Just just be aware. You know, it used to be that missionaries would send out prayer letters, they'd go in the mail, and they didn't really know who read them. Uh, But but not enough people did. Now they send them out on email. They use, they use uh, programs like MailChimp and, and MailChimp actually has analytics. So they, they send 500 emails and they, they can analyze who received it, who opened it, and it is not encouraging. You know, here they're doing this great work and 5% of their email list from the supporting churches even bothers to open the email. Do you remember William Carey's uh, words when he was getting ready to go to the mission field? He says, it's like he's going down into a deep, dark mind. He says, I'll go, but hold the rope. You know, you who are staying behind, don't forget me. Support me. And, and support is financial, but some of it's just emotional and, and spiritual. It's It's encouragement. You want to encourage a missionary, read and reply. Read their note and reply. And the reply doesn't have to be a page long. You could just say, hey, we just sat down to dinner and we read your missionary letter as a couple or as a family and we prayed for the specific requests. You know, I'm so glad you have an evangelistic meeting coming up. Please let me know how it goes. Your your missionaries might just fall over Uh, with surprise, but they'd be encouraged. We need to treat missionaries better. We support them in a manner worthy of God. And finally, at the end, we have this last point, which is schism. Schism is a fancy word for division, uh, for a breach in the fellowship of the church. Now we get to the villain diatrophies. The point I have is that the church must avoid petty divisions which hinder... Great commission work. Paul says, you ought to support these people. That, I'm saying that because Diotrephes, Diotrephes wants to be preeminent. He is opposing John. I mean, that is, that is some kind of courageous. He's actually opposing John, verse 9. Uh, he doesn't acknowledge our authority. If I, if I come, I will bring up what he is doing Talking wicked nonsense. Uh, The Greek word for talking wicked nonsense is Twitter. I just made that up. Uh, He's talking wicked nonsense against us. Not content with that. He refuses to welcome the brothers and also stops those who want to and puts them out of the church. This is diatrophies. He wants to be preeminent and, and that word, I love the, the King James rendering, because only one person can be preeminent in the church. It's not the pastor, it's not the chairman of the deacons, it's Christ. Christ is preeminent in the church. Christ uh, built and is building the church. Christ bought the church with his blood. I cringe a little bit when I'm, I'm talking to a pastor, and I, I don't mean to be you know, easily offended, but a pastor says, well, my deacons, blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, yeah, "Your deacons. Or, you know, my church. And I, I know what they mean if, they, if, if they're if they saying, like, I'm, I'm part of the church. But listen, you don't own the church. You didn't shed your blood for the church. It's Jesus' church. Diotrephes wants to be preeminent. And he's so interested in his own power base that he refuses to welcome these brothers. Oh, they're strangers. They're not us. They're not from us. They didn't go to our college. They're not... You know, they're, they're not one of our tribe. Well, I'm not supporting them. And he not only won't support them, but he's going to kick out of the church anybody who does support them. That, that's how much control he has. Some of you are giving your money to missionaries. And if I hear you're supporting missionaries, I will kick you out of the church. Church discipline time. Well, why is that guy being church disciplined? You know, is it, is it dishonesty or fraud or adultery? No, he's supporting missionaries. That's ridiculous. He's so interested in his own uh, preeminence that he's, he's opposing missions. And listen, people are dying and going to hell, but that is not our problem. You need to give, be giving your money to this church. You need to be supporting me. You need to be praying for me. He's actually opposing the spread of the gospel. Not a good guy. So here we have somebody that is separating. And, and he's actually practicing uh, what sometimes we call secondary separation. Like, not only am I separating from you, uh, but I'm separating from anybody who partners with you. And, and it can, can kind of keep growing. And see, the, there's a balance no. with Second John. The Bible teaches separation from unbelief, from false teachers. And the Bible teaches separation or, or discipline for somebody that is a perpetually sinning brother and won't repent. Okay, we have examples of that. But Diotrephes is not separating from these brothers because they're false teachers or, or they have you know, compromising associations. He's just separating them to protect his turf. There are a lot of people that think they're earnestly contending for the faith and they're just protecting their own turf. They're, they're, just, they're just interested in their, in their own uh, prominence. Years ago, I read 3 John. I was studying to preach it and I had a really uncomfortable awakening, an aha moment. There were times in my ministry I thought I was being Jude earnestly contending for the faith, and I'm criticizing everybody. I mean, listen, everybody's wrong except for the two of us. And I'm not sure about you, to be honest. You know, that, that mindset, just, just kind of a suspicion of everybody. And I thought I was defending the faith, and I, I was just defending my turf or my market share. And I realized, man, I thought I was being Jude, but I. Th- I was kind of being diatrophies. I was just causing trouble for people that were preaching the gospel. And John says, that's, that's wicked nonsense. You know, D- Diatrophies is not the good guy. So, legitimate separation protects the gospel from false teachers, but illegitimate separation actually confuses and hinders gospel advance because now we're not just supporting somebody that's going to preach the gospel. He has to be you know, somebody from our group and, and you know, our denominational tie, our, our list of, of approved schools or whatever, and, and it becomes very tribal. And he says that, that actually is hindering gospel advance. The church must avoid those kind of petty divisions. Now, the last several years uh, of, of life and church life have been difficult. Um, covid COVID messed with the church and it's not primarily the illness. And, you know, once again, I risk offending you. Um, Sorry, not sorry. Um, I knew Christians that were much more passionate about masks or no masks than they were about preaching the gospel. You know, your opinion on COVID was was a world tragedy or COVID was mostly overblown by the press. Whatever your opinion is, I don't even care. I, I'm not trying to persuade you one way or the other. But the church had so much schism over masks or distancing or meeting or not meeting or vax or no vax. You know, or there's Christian that seem to be, Christians seem to be more passionate, say, about Donald Trump than they do about... Christ okay now I'm not even I'm not even critiquing how you're going to vote I'm just saying there's so many distractions and and we're so willing to to use our influence to promote our opinion and we care more about that stuff than we do about the gospel so so have political opinions and have COVID opinions and whatever but but we are called to live and to invest our lives in the spread of the gospel not some other ideology we're distracted and and it was so divisive in the church and i said covid messed with the church that actually covid wasn't the problem covid just exposed some weaknesses in the church we have to avoid that kind of division you know we talked yesterday about there's going to be songs in church that you love and there's going to be some songs that you don't like so much and and you don't need to go to battle for that. You just, you show deference and specifically within the local church to, to say, listen, let, let's not be infighting. You know, how ridiculous would it have been for America to send soldiers in the 1940s? We, we recruit, we draft soldiers, we train them, we send them to Europe to invade Great Britain. That'd be ridiculous, Right? I mean, the, the British might have their issues, but they were our allies. We're, we're invading the Nazis. You know, we're, we're fighting the enemy, and we can't waste our time with infighting and, and critique and, and just troublemaking among the church because it actually hinders the gospel. I mentioned to you David Platt. David Platt wrote, God clearly has decided to use the church and only the church as the means by which the gospel will go to the ends of the earth. He's going to use us. He's not not sending angels to evangelize. He's going to use the church. And then he gives kind of a, uh, a chilling statement at the end. He says, there is no plan B. It's the church's job to take the gospel to the lost. It's the church's job to support those who take the gospel to the lost. There's no plan B. It's us or it's not going to happen. Why would people leave their family, their home, the comfort. Why would these strangers go out? Uh, why would they risk rejection and disease, danger? We we talked about uh, one of uh, one of Paul's co-workers in Brazil that was shot. And you know, there's like an assassination attempt. Why would you put yourself at risk? Why would you do that? Why Why would a church pray for laborers and and send some of its best people and, and give money that it could be used for beautifying your campus? Why would you do all that? And the answer is you do it for the sake of Jesus' name. You go to the mission field for the sake of Jesus' name. You support missions for the sake of Jesus' name. You evangelize your neighbors for the sake of Jesus' name because he is so great, he deserves more worshipers. And so we pray, Lord, would you use us? I'll sometimes pray, Lord, you're not getting much. You know, this is it. But you have me. Would you use me for the advance of the gospel, for the salvation of the lost, for the glory of Jesus' name? And, and he's using people just like you. Missionaries are not superheroes. They're not super Christians. They're just they're Christians who are serving the Lord somewhere else. We need to help them more, and, and maybe some of you will even add to their number for the sake of Jesus' name. Heavenly Father, thank you for Your Word. Uh, its its power, its beauty. Lord, sometimes it's uncomfortable because it it stretches us. But I pray that we'd be attentive, and I pray for people to respond uh, in their in their own hearts to be more committed to missions, to be more prayerful, more encouraging, um, to to be more generous, even through faith promise, and even Lord. Uh, cause some to consider uh, making major adjustments in life so they can actively engage in missions themselves, maybe even taking their career to a mission field. Uh, But Lord, do your work. You're the Lord of the harvest. You're the one who's sovereign. Advance the gospel through your church for your glory.